This podcast is brought to you by Aetna. Learn how Aetna is working to build a healthier world by visiting aetnastory.com. People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Casey Seidenberg is co-founder of Nourish Schools, a DC-based education company, and the author of The Superfoods Cards, a collection of healthful recipes and advice. She's formerly a contributing writer for The Washington Post about wellness, and she's currently an executive life coach with The Handle Group. Casey, thank you for being on Health Gig. We thought we would just have a conversation about how to take control of your life during the coronavirus. Well, first of all, thank you guys so much for having me. So we're all kind of left right now trying to navigate new times and we have to build new structures. And that's kind of what we're here to do. At the Handel Group, one of our big taglines is that nobody ever gave us a manual for being a human for how to live a dream life, for how to get through difficult things and have difficult conversations. There's a manual for almost everything else, but not this. We have a bunch of steps that we tell people on how they can potentially regain some of the control that they feel they've lost right now and kind of get back into that author position of authoring their lives right now and taking charge and leading them instead of just reacting. What are some of those steps? How do you begin to do that? You know, the first thing that we like to tell people is to really decide what matters and articulate it, write it down. And this is not a to-do list. It's not everything that I want to accomplish by the time this COVID episode is over. It's not a to-do list. It's really, you know, more of a bigger picture look at what's important in your life and how you want those areas of your life to feel. So I can give you some examples because I think that might help. You know, one night I was told that my kids were homeschooling the next morning. So I have a third grader as my youngest. My others are in high school and are pretty self-sufficient. But I was suddenly a teacher every day in some capacity. And I also found myself kind of butting heads with my husband a little bit. We weren't used to spending that much time together, having to deal with the stressful conditions that we were dealing with. And initially, not any of it was going the way I wanted it to. And so what I did is I sat down and kind of wrote down how I wanted the next couple of weeks to go. And this is before I knew how many weeks it would be. I wrote that I want homeschooling my eight-year-old daughter to be an experience that we both look back on with pride. I want to help my teenage boys find independence, growth, and fun while they're living in quarantine with their parents. I want to come out of this quarantine closer to my husband, and I want to keep growing my business during this time. So those were just kind of four dreams that I wrote down. You know, they're big picture. They're not a specific to-do list but they can help direct me in all the decisions that I make. Do you guys have certain things that you're really focused on right now? We were just talking today, Trish and I, about our business. There's certain things that we've had to amend in this period of time with our business, one of which is a big conference that we give, an in-person conference at a university. Of course, the university will not be going and we can't have a group of 400 people get together. Things are always changing, right? So we can write these goals down, but maybe in three or four weeks, there's going to be something new that comes up. 
what came up for me as you were talking was, yeah, let's set these goals, but also have we learned nothing else than that we're really not in control of everything out there? So that's sort of what was coming up for me. And I'd love to know your thoughts on definitely setting goals. But lately we set a goal. It's like, "Ah, I can't do it. Well, I think you make a really good point, and it's a question that most people do have, especially right now, because as you said, we have less control over things than we had in the past, and hopefully than we will have in the future, so this is a very unusual time. But even during normal times, we don't have full control. But what we do have is we have control over how we respond to everything that happens to us. And so that, I think, is the most important thing to remember, that when I set those goals, I'm not expecting perfection. Nobody should be trying to be perfect right now. We are human, and this is tough. I've had lots of tough days, as I'm sure you have. For instance, when I wrote the dream about homeschooling my daughter, I don't expect that every day is going to be perfect. I don't expect that she's going to say, I'm the best teacher ever, mom. Every single day, mom, you're the best. That's not it. But if I have the intention that making homeschooling is positive, if that's an articulated dream of mine, sort of a big picture, then I'm going to make certain choices every day that will lead me more in that direction then it will lead me towards a reactive, frustrated path, or even just looking at homeschooling as a chore versus looking at it as a chance to connect with her. These dreams or these goals or these intentions that we make, they really just help us keep coming back to what's important when things don't go the way we want them to. We don't have full control. And I think you're right in what you're saying about really the other thing that we can control is our reaction to a situation. And I know we talk a lot about stepping back and taking a breath and ask the questions that probably what you're saying is and go back to my goals. Exactly. And then I think what you talk a lot about, which really again resonated with Dora and I is, however, there are other voices in our heads. Yes. It's one of my favorite topics to talk about because it is so universal and those voices in our head, I really believe are what hold us back more than anything else. You guys have probably heard this statistic before, but according to science, the average human has anywhere from 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts per day. It turns out that a whopping 80% of our thoughts are negative and 95% of them are the exact same thoughts that we had the day before. And that is actually on a normal day and we are in a pandemic right now. So can you imagine how many thoughts are actually negative now? If 80% were negative before, my guess is even more are negative now. And, you know, those negative thoughts don't do anything for us. They don't help us. They don't get us any closer to the dreams. They don't make us happy. And so I think what's really important is to recognize that we are in charge of what we say in our mind and that what those voices are saying, it's not always the truth. People tend to believe all the things that go on in their heads as if it's true. And it's really important to step back and realize that those voices are not actually true. So what we do at the Handel Method is we actually give the three main voices that everybody has and the main ones that hold us back, we give them names. Because if you can name a voice when you hear it, it's easier for you to recognize it, to catch it, to even step back from it and realize, okay, wait, that is that voice talking. That's not necessarily the truth. And by laughing a little with these voices, it can sometimes break the heaviness of these negative thoughts because some of them get pretty scary especially right now. So do you want to hear the names of the voices? Yes. 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 Okay. The first one, I'm just going to say, sends us into fear. The second one tells us that we have no control. And the third instructs us to scrap all of our good habits. The voice I'm going to talk about first, we call the brat. 
We like to describe it as kind of that entitled four-year-old kid, but in an adult body this time, you know, saying things like, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that now. I'll do that later. Why do that now? I just deserve that right now. You know, those are kind of the voices of the brat. So have you guys had any brats in yes, your head? Yes. <laughs> What's the voice where you walk around and go, oh. <laughs> and Gigi, my daughter who's here with me, she's like, mom, don't be such a drama queen. I'm like, oh, this day's so long. And that's the brat. And so everybody has a brat. My brat, I have noticed right now is saying to myself, Okay, Casey, between homeschooling and teenagers and a pandemic and work, you should definitely have a glass of wine every night, right? So that's the brat talking. For some people, it might be a cookie or it might be let's skip exercise. So the brat loves to think that, well, everybody else is cocktailing or baking or eating or skipping workouts. That just fuels the brat and its righteousness. But if we listen to the brat, do we really make good decisions? No. I mean, usually not. If I have that glass of wine or two every single night, I don't sleep as well. I'm a less patient homeschooling teacher. I am not necessarily going to take a great run or have the exercise that I want. I'm not as productive at work. So I have to work hard to say, okay, that's just the brat talking. Yes, I might have had a stressful day, but it doesn't mean that I should just throw it all to the wind because I would like to have a good day tomorrow. So the next voice is the chicken. It's the voice of fear, the internal voice that says, I might make a mistake. I don't want to try that. I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. It kind of wants to protect you from failure. And it's really easy to believe it because it kind of gives you reasons why it's safer to listen to it. And a lot of those reasons are real, but that doesn't mean I should listen to them. The last voice is sort of my favorite. It's called the weather reporter. And this one's a little bit harder to guess. So this voice reports on your life as if you're powerless and you have no control. And we call it the weather reporter because just like an actual weather reporter on TV who says something like, it's going to rain at four o'clock today. They say that without any power to change it. They can't stop the rain from coming. They're just reporting on it completely powerlessly. And so the weather reporter that's in your head is the same. So it will say things like, you know, now that I'm homeschooling, I just have no time to exercise. You know, it might say, oh, I'm bad with money. I shouldn't just even try to save. When I'm stressed, I take it all out of my husband, and that's just a fact. (laughs) But it's not a fact. I don't have to take anything out of my husband. I still have time to exercise, even though I've got homeschooling in there. It might look a little different than it did before. And if one of my dreams is to stay connected to my husband, I better not take all my stress out on him. And so that's when you can tie back to something that matters to you, when you hear that voice speaking, and you can say, wait, this brat, this chicken, this weather reporter is not getting me where I want to go. Fear is one voice I know very well, and it comes up a lot, but fear can sometimes be real, like if you step in front of a car or something like that. You need fear not to do that. How do you discern the protection and fear? When we start working with clients, whether it's a corporate executive client or even an individual client, we really have them articulate their dreams. We split their lives into 12 areas, everything from their community and contribution to their family, to their money, to their career, to their body, to their love, all the things that we think really make up a holistic human being. And we ask them at the beginning of working with us to really write what matters to them and their dreams for those areas, because the only true way to separate yourself from these voices is to be able to say to that fear, wait, that fear will stop me from reaching this dream. 
yes, you're never going to want to walk in front of a bus because that's not going to get you where you want to go. But you are going to want to say, okay, that fear of public speaking or that fear of putting myself out there or writing a blog or calling that client, that fear is going to stop me from reaching my career dream. And so if you haven't articulated what matters to you in the world, you're more on a windy path instead of able to continue to keep yourself going straight towards your dreams. How do you talk back to the brat in your head? The first thing I like to do, and which I suggest people do, is call it by its name because then you can separate from it a little bit. You can realize that it's not you saying that. We have these internal voices that we're supposed to listen to and trust. Well, you don't want to trust the brat or the chicken or the weather reporter. So if you can separate from them enough to call it what it is, that helps you a little bit. And then I have little mantras that I talk back to them, you know, and they can be as dorky as, you know, so if my brat is saying, have that glass of wine, and I can say like, nah, I'm going to crush work tomorrow. Something that ties you back to what really matters and puts you in control again, which means the brat or one of these voices loses some of their power. And then one of the other really powerful, I think it's our most powerful way to controlling them is to create promises for yourself. So if I promise I'm not going to drink Monday to Thursday, that starts it. And will I keep that promise just by making it? Maybe not. I mean, I think as humans, what's really fascinating is that we are way better at keeping promises to other people than to ourselves. Like I said to you guys, I'm going to meet you on Zoom at one o'clock to talk today. I didn't mean if something else better comes up. I didn't mean if I don't get distracted. Like I meant I'd meet you here at one. But if I say to myself, I promise to go to the gym, I'm not always going to do that because we just aren't as good as humans at keeping promises to ourselves. What we do is if we don't keep a promise to ourselves, but we feel really guilty about it, that kind of gets us off the hook. But what it does is it really damages our relationship with ourselves. The more we don't keep promises to ourselves, the more we don't trust ourselves, and the more we damage that relationship we have with ourselves. And at the Handel Group, we call that personal integrity. Like your ability to keep a promise to yourself is really your personal integrity. And we really believe that keeping promises to yourself is kind of the secret sauce to happiness. Like if you can do that and you can do that on a regular basis, keep promises about things that matter to you, you're a happier human. When you make a promise to yourself, you want to get an accountability buddy. So for instance, I could say to my kids and my husband, I'm not going to drink wine Monday through Thursday. They would notice if I started pouring it every night. They would probably hold me to that. So you don't need to say to them, hold me accountable, although that works really well too. But just articulating what you care about to somebody else and promises that you're making makes you more likely to keep those. Another example is that I actually had to promise my teenagers that I would give them space during this quarantine because I was so excited that they were home in the beginning and that they were around all the time. And you guys have kids, you know. And they're teenage boys. They're at the end of high school. They're not supposed to spend every minute with me, right? But I wanted to spend every minute with them. I was like, game night and let's watch this movie and guys, let's go on a hike. And their job right now in part is to separate from me. It's to become independent. It's to spend less time with me, to rely on me less, all of those things. And we were just sort of at each other. And so I had to recognize that I wasn't doing the right thing. And I said to them, listen, guys, I promise I'm going to give you space. I also really want to capitalize on this time together as a family because this is unique that you're around as much. So let's figure out what that balance is. And I promise not to over control it or get in your space too much. And you promise me back that you'll tell me when I do. 
And so by speaking that out loud, they were into it. They were so into knowing that I have their back in this and that I recognized and that I'm admitting that I did something wrong. I mean, teenagers love that when their parents admit that. But what happened is then now they're starting to spend more and more time with me because they know I'm not forcing it and they know that I'll let them go when they need to go. And so some of those promises by getting somebody to be accountable with you can really, really help. So the handle method, can you just tell us a little bit more about the handle method? Yeah, it is a very specific methodology that we use that really starts with the principle that we're the author of our lives. We get to choose which direction our life goes. And when you take that principle and everything builds off of that, all the rest of our methodology builds off of setting promises for yourself and learning to have hard conversations. That's a big thing for us. We teach people to have hard conversations with the people they care about because that's a huge important part of developing the relationship that you want with someone. Again, it goes back to the principle that you're very much in charge of creating that relationship because you have the chance to set up the right conversation and say the right things. And so it is methodology that we use in lots of different ways. We teach in organizations how to build cultures and transform cultures. We are at MIT and Stanford and NYU, and I think we're at 30 some odd higher educations, high schools, kindergartens. We have methodology that really starts at age five and goes all the way through life. And the way we teach it may be different for different ages and different organizations, but the fundamental principles are the same. One thing we wanted to ask you is why is asking for help so important now? There's less connection right now, especially physically. And everyone is a little bit more isolated depending on who you would live with. Some have big families and others are very isolated alone. People are spending a lot of time on social media and there's a lot of looking at the perfect family moment or I'm starting a nonprofit, I'm running a marathon, you know, (laughs) which we all know is not true. And I really hope people can find the hashtag COVID silver linings or whatever they are. I mean, that's part of our goal is to find the silver linings and the good and all of this. But for some people, it really can be intimidating to say, I'm lonely or I am struggling. And not even because of all of those things. I mean, it's just, it is hard to ask for help as a human. We have a bunch of questions that we're sort of suggesting people ask right now. And I ask them of myself and then of my family, what do I need to be successful and proud right now? And so you can look at that so many different ways. It could be help. It could be more sleep. It could be taking care of myself better. There could be so many ways that that could be answered. What do I need to ask for from my husband, my children, or those people around me? Who do I need to talk to to make this work? So it could be a boss. Maybe you just need your afternoons, a couple hours in the afternoon to connect with your children, and then you can work again at night. Maybe it's a coworker where you just need to have a different relationship while you're both working at home, a neighbor. Is there a conversation that you need to have that sort of sets you up for success? And so a couple quick examples, like I had to adjust my schedule so I don't start with clients until 10 or 10.30 every day because I'm homeschooling. And so I have pushed my work day back, but my work day isn't any shorter. And so what I found is that I don't have time to cook dinner. I said to my kids, like, listen, this is a problem I'm having and I need some help. And so there were some initial grumbles by the teenagers, but now they're loving it. They're cooking dinner most weeknights. And, you know, interestingly, it goes back to what we talked about before, Trisha, but it's giving them independence and control 
for them to put a meal out for a family of five, having done it from scratch, planned it, picked the menu, all of it, makes them feel fantastic and grown up at 15 and 17. And, you know, so it's sort of working. But I had to ask for that. I had to recognize that that's what I needed. And I think as women, especially, we often just think we're supposed to be able to fit it in and do it all. So asking for help and recognizing that you need help is important. How do you design your day to meet your goals? How you choose to spend your time is really a reflection of your current priorities. What we always say is start with the question, what are the outcomes that you want right now? So like, what do you want from today? What do you want from this week? And then make sure they're reflected in your schedule. That really works for the person who has too much time. If they want to spend it in a way that feels meaningful, they can make sure that's in their schedule. And same for the person who is kind of overwhelmed. They can figure out what to let go or what to adjust. You know. And so for me, I go back to the example of my daughter. I really wanted homeschool to be positive. I didn't want to be on a call, half paying attention to her and ignoring or annoyed or any of it. You know. And so I decided what's important to me is the outcome that at the end of the week, homeschooling was positive. Then I need to move my day. You know. And so that's when I move my day. So from 7.30 to 10, I'm in the kitchen and I'm around for her. I can be on my computer. I can be prepping dinner. I can be doing lots of stuff, but I'm there when she needs me. I'm not focused on work completely. And so it's just figuring out what outcome do you want, what's important to you, and then adjusting your schedule accordingly. And then for the people who are really strapped for time, it's really about putting it all in your calendar. And this is something that we teach to anybody. And we do lots of time management seminars in companies and at universities and elsewhere. We really believe that everything needs to go into your calendar, including showering, eating, time with your family, your work requirements, when you're going to play with your kids, because all of it actually takes time. And if you don't plan for it, it's just not all of it's going to happen. And what usually ends up going are the small little personal things, either the self-care or the time with your kids. You know, many of us will prioritize the have-to work thing over the rest of it. But if self-care is important to you or playing with your nine-year-old is important with you, then it better be in your calendar because it's not going to happen. Let's say you go along and you've got your priorities and things in your schedule. How does a day where you decide, I'm not doing anything today, how does that fit in? And is that okay? And do you schedule that in? Do you say there's going to be one day a week, I'm going to be a total flop? It's a great question because I do think people need some self-care right now. I mean, I think we do need to be gentle with ourselves. I also think there's a challenge. It's interesting to watch where even though we're in a pandemic, there are still seven days in the week and there are still two of those days that are weekends. Yet so many people are treating all seven days exactly the same. And it leaves them very much feeling like they're on this treadmill to absolutely nowhere, burnt out. And so I think to your point, it is really important to still designate week and weekend or however you want to do that, but designate that not every day is the same. So perhaps there's one day that you do your chores in the house and another day you rest and you take care of yourself and you read a book. Everybody is different, so you have to figure out what works for you. For some people, they need that built into their day, you know, so they need meditation time and a walk and time to read built into their day. And some people can sort of save that up and have a really relaxing day over the weekend. But I think you make a great point because a lot of people are struggling with the idea that they're in the same room or few rooms every day for weeks on end, right? It starts to blur. And then I think, you know, for the people who have too much time, 
maybe not too much time, but suddenly more time than they're used to. I have a client who had an hour and 40 minute commute each way. So she just got back three hours a day, which is remarkable. And at first she was frozen, completely frozen, partially because she was afraid she didn't want to fill it because she was so relieved to have just more space in her day. But she also spent the first couple of weeks not doing anything with it and then started not to feel proud and feeling like she was wasting it. And so what I had her do is just write down a list of small things, activities, small, big, whatever they can be, but they don't have to be, again, back to the starting a nonprofit and running a marathon. They don't have to be huge. You know, things that just would make her feel excited or happy or proud if they were part of her day. And her list was really fun. She hadn't painted in 10 years. She loves to cook and hadn't cooked for herself in years. She also is obsessed with bees and beekeeping. And so every Sunday now she's going and volunteering as a beekeeper. One thing on her list was to clean out her storeroom because that would make her feel proud and like she had used her time appropriately. So I think by putting those in, and she's putting in 30 minutes every day, it's not a huge pressure-filled situation, but at the end of the day, you feel better. How do these tips and this method apply for people who are on the front lines finding life very difficult right now? For some of the workers on the front lines, I think it really just depends. I mean, many of them are very reactive so that, you know, especially in a hospital job, their job is much harder to design their time when things are just coming at them like that. But I do still believe that they can take stock of how they want to show up and they can figure out the few things that are going to keep them well and sane and going during this time. Everybody has a couple things that will help. Maybe it's that every single day their family is available for a FaceTime call. Maybe it's that they really need a good meal to keep them through. They can't subsist on cookies and vending machines all day. They know themselves and they need a good meal. You know, So maybe it's figuring out how that gets into their day. There still are ways to design, even when the situations are very stressful. Boy, this has been so helpful. Casey, thank you for being on Health Gig today. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful to chat with you. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well.